son Priyavrata and the younger brother was Uttanapada. So this goes into the third canto to hear about Devahuti and Devahuti's marriage to what did she marry? Her son was Dorkatila. She married Karnamuni. So Devahuti's marriage to Karnamuni and the son Dorkatila and all of that. So then the descendants, the further descendants of Akuti and Prasuti, they're also described as daughters. But then the sons are described. The son, the firstborn son, becomes the king by law of progenitor. So Priyavrata said, "My dear father, my younger brother is very qualified. Uttanapada is very qualified. Let him become the king, and I'd like to go with your permission." to go to the forest and try to achieve spiritual perfection. So, his father, Swamigumadu, consented. So, Priyabrata left. <coughs> then, the rest of the fourth canto is this Uttanapada and his firstborn son was Dhruva Maharaj. So, the whole story. Dhruva Maharaj is married in his younger stepbrother, Anupam, he was killed by the Dakshas and Dhruva tried to avenge his death. That's the story. The story of Dhruva, Dhruva is going back to Godhead. He's taking his mother, Suniti, back with him on the Vaikuntha Dimana. And then the descendants of Dhruva are further described. Going into the, towards the end of the fourth canto of Bhagavatam, where we have a break in the lineage from Uttanapada. Why is there a break? Because the last king in that line was King Pachinibani. And he had sons, they were the Prachetas, but they achieved spiritual perfection and never got married. And King Pachinibani, um, following the inspiration of Narayani, he also went to the forest and achieved spiritual perfection. So there were no sons to continue the line of being king. And that was a problem, because you have to have a king. And so, the father of Uttanapada, going way back, Swayamukumana, he went to his firstborn son. This is Canto 5, Chapter 1. Firstborn son, again, his name was? Uttanapada, what was his brother's name? Priyapada. So, first chapter, just before this chapter that we're now reading, called this Priyapada. Swayam Bhukamana goes to Priyavrata and says, you got to become king. He doesn't want to say no to his father, or he doesn't want to say yes either, because he's been for thousands of years perfecting 
totally attached. And totally attached to the personality of God. But he doesn't want to say no to his father. So, not only just happens along. Very conveniently at the right time. And Narayamuni is the spiritual master of this whole line. So, so prerequisite great Narayamuni is a sannyasi who stick up for my renunciation. But Narada also saw the dilemma. You have to have a king. And a qualified king, not just somebody, a qualified king. So Narada didn't say yes and didn't say no either. So Lord Brahma came. Now here's three Mahajans. And two of the Mahajans are Shaktanesh Avatars. One Shaktanesh Avatar, not the Buddha Avatar, and the other is a Manu. They're all Avatars of the Lord. Telling him, you know, you got to do it. So he did it. With a promise from Lord Brahma that even he would become entangled, he would be ultimately released from that entanglement. Because his concern was to become emperor, I've got to have a queen. And I'll also have to have a royal treasury. And when, it, when the soul is in contact with the opposite sex and wealth, whoa, one gets agitated, mind becomes disturbed, one becomes attached. And I don't want any of that. I'm very contented just where I am. The Lord Brahma promised it very well. You'll, you will become attached, but you'll become released from that attachment. In the end, you will have to touch service. So it's Lord Brahma, Swainbhuvamana, Priyabrata, and one of Priyabrata's sons, was the person who this chapter is about. Agnidra. Agnidra. Agnidra needed a queen. He's going to be the king, the emperor of the whole world. He needed a queen. So his father's father's father is Lord Rama. Rama made the arrangement. He sent Purvachiti. So the verses that you were reading previously is Agnidra seeing this beautiful heavenly damsel woman. And she introduces herself to Lord Brahma's family. I'm to be your wife. And he speaks very eloquently in appreciating her qualifications to be his wife. And so this little section is they, they, they become married and um, they have nine children and after the nine children they enjoy a long time and after some time Purvachiti returned to her celestial abode and continued worshipping Lord Brahma.
I'm just asking through Bhuvaneshwar, there's a, a right along the road, the path people would follow. Now it's a road, then it was just a footpath. Um, there's a town called Satyabhamapur. And in that town, Satyabhamapur, Rupa Goswami had a dream. And his dream, Satyabhama, appeared. And Satyabhama instructed him, when you're writing this drama about Krishna, make it in two parts. One is about Krishna in Vrindavan, and the other is Krishna outside of Vrindavan. Because are different moods. Two dramas, not just one drama. So, that was an instruction from Satyabhama in his dream. Then he continued on before and he was contemplating how to fulfill this. And after he reached Jagannath Puri, he resided with Haridas Thakur at Siddhapapul, the place that was not at the like Haridas Thakur, Rupa Goswami never entered the Jagannath temple, considering himself unfit and unqualified. Very humble. He didn't enter the temple. But he stayed with Haridas Thakur and continued writing this drama. One day, he said nothing to anybody about the dream of Satyabhama. But Lord Chaitanya spoke to him and said, Rupa Goswami, I understand you're composing a drama about Krishna's pastimes. You should make it two dramas. One of Krishna and Vrindavan and one of Krishna outside of Vrindavan. So, Rupa Goswami can understand from that that Bhagavatam is a mission. He doesn't need anybody to tell him anything because he knows everything. He's God. He's not like, oh wow, he, he knows what I was thinking. Or he knows about my dream. He's a mission. He knows about everything. He's God. And so, then he began breaking the drama into two in a formal way. And one of the drums became the Dhamma That's Krishna's pastimes in Vrindavan. Because Krishna's pastimes in Vrindavan are focused in that Dhamma is Krishna's clever words with the gopis and particularly Vrindavan, flattering them to get what we want. The Dhamma And outside of Vrindavan is Lalita. Uddhava was 
the chief um, minister, like you know, he advised Krishna. Buddha was really close to Krishna. Very elevated. So Buddha could understand Krishna's feelings. Thus, they enjoyed worldly and heavenly 
happiness for many thousands of years. It sounds like and then they live happily ever after, but that's not what happened. Text 19. In the womb of Gurvashati, Maharaj Anidra, the best of kings, begot nine sons named here's the nine names. The first one is Nabi. Nabi later became the father of who? The next king, Rishabhadeva. Rishabhadeva is an incarnation who was the father of 100 sons headed by Bharat. You know the story of Bharat. The deer, the coming deer, Jan Bharat. No, Bharat's father was Nabi. Nabi's father was Agnidra. And Korvachiti was his mother. That's the, the eldest of the nine brothers. Then Kim Purusha. Later in the, in the fifth canto, we're going to hear about Kim Purusha Varsha. In fact, in this chapter, we're going to hear that um, Agnidra gave, divided his kingdom amongst his nine sons. Okay, so, Jambudvip. Jambudvip was divided amongst the sons of Agnidra and Nabi took one part, Kimpurusha took another part. Haribarsha, Ilavita, Ramyaka, Hiranmaya, Kuru, Vadrasha, and Ketumala. Have you heard, as I have heard, that this planet became renamed after Bharat Maharaj by Bharat Varsha? You heard that, huh? Yeah. And what was it named before Bharat Varsha? Ilavrita Varsha. And that was one of the uh, sons of Agnidra, among Nabha. Nabi. The nine sons with Purvachiti and Agnidra. Text 20. Purvachiti gave birth to these nine sons, one each year. But after they grew up, she left them at home and again approached Lord Brahma to worship him. There are many instances in which the Apsaras, heavenly angels, have descended to this earth by the order of a superior demigod like Lord Rama or Lord Indra, and have followed the demigod's order by marrying someone and giving birth to children and have them return to their celestial homes. For example, After Menaka, the celestial woman who had come to delude Vishwamitra Muni, gave birth to the child Shukuntala, she left both the child and her husband and returned to the heavenly planets. 
he was a long story. But the part that Prabhupada often tells is um, the process of meditation is not as strong as the process of bhakti. And the example is Vishwamitra Muni. He was engaged in meditation and he was so intently engaged in meditation that Indra thought, oh, he's trying to take over my position as Indra. So I'll fix him. I'm going to send a heavenly damsel and he'll fall down and his, all of his meditation and strength will be gone. So he sent me a thought. Here's this tradition, this really so powerful. But just by the sound of the tinkling of her ankle bells as she was approaching, his meditation broke. And he saw her beauty, he became overwhelmed with her overwhelming beauty. And a child was born. Now here's this, you know, powerful change caught up in family life. Touch. What happened? <laughs> and meanwhile, Nenaka left. So there he is with Shakuntala. Looking after, you know, from the position of nearing spiritual perfection to being lost in family life. Then he resumed his meditation and became very qualified as Vishwamitra Samuni. So, both the example of Vishwamitra Muni and Saurabhi Muni, who was meditating underwater, saw two fish having a union and that disturbed his mind and his meditation broke. So, he gives these two examples commonly as examples where meditation is not as strong as devotion. Looking at the example, Karidas Thakur was not distracted by a prostitute or by dating herself because he was fixed in his devotion to Krishna. Can anyone think of another example? A Mahabharata example? Um, a heavenly damsel descending to this earthly region, becoming married to someone, having a number of sons, and then disappearing. Who was Bhishnadev's mother? Ganga. And who was Bhishnadev's father? Marashantanu. What was the incident of the marriage of Ganga and Sankhana? The, the fruit of which was Vishnu Day. You recall? Yes. What's the story? But, but there was a there was a deal that was made. He was doing his his ritual duties by the side of the sacred river, Gunga. And he saw this captivating, beautiful 
because of translation, because of drinking the breast milk of their mother, the nine sons of Agnitra naturally had strong, well-built bodies. Their father, Agnitra, gave them each a kingdom in different parts of Jambudri. The kingdoms were named according to the names of the sons, like Harivarsha and Kimpusha Varsha and Ilavita Varsha and Nabi Varsha and so on. The kingdoms were named according to the names of the sons, thus the sons of Agnitra ruled the kingdoms they received from their father. And very interesting purport by Shilakalpa. The Acharyas specifically mentioned that in this verse the words Matu Anugraha or by the mercy of the mother refer to the breast milk of their mother. In India it is common belief that if a baby is said his mother's breast milk for at least six months his body will be very strong. Besides that it is mentioned herein that all the sons of Amitra were endowed with the nature of their mother in Bhagavad Gita 140. Also, it is declared, Trishu Dushtasu Vareshneya Jaya Jayate Varna Shankara. When women are polluted, Varna Shankara, unqualified children are generated, and when the Varna Shankara population world becomes hellish. Therefore, according to Manasamita, a woman needs a great deal of protection in order to remain pure and chaste so that her children can be fully engaged for the benefit of human society. So there's two parts to this. One is what makes strong children. And the other is what makes a good society. Prabhupada is not declaring it to be a scientific fact, he's just saying that it's common understanding or it's a, a, a practice in India, a thought that people in India have is for the first six months of the child's life, taking milk from the mother makes the body strong. And then after six months comes the rain ceremony when nourishment of the child is other than from the body of the mother because in the womb it's clearly from the body of the mother and after birth from the body of the mother and after six months so it's like there are degrees of independence in the womb total dependence in the first six months also dependent the child not fed will die dependent on the parent, particularly the mother, but the parents, to supply them their necessities. And uh, one devotee was sharing this with me, a, a, a pediatrician, maybe you know what pediatricians are, a pediatrician who had helped deliver hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of babies made a remark that only in the human form of life do children need to be instructed 
But a child doesn't have that in it. It requires something instruction. Or in one sense more dependent. <clears throat> it's na- it's natural. It's just how nature made it. And um, in the course of developing human consciousness, higher consciousness, there are stages of moving that dependence to independence, but then dependence upon the Supreme, which is transitioning from dependence materially to independence materially to dependence spiritually. Because ultimately, in all circumstances, we're dependent spiritually. And the ultimate capacity of the human form of life is God-realization that other life forms don't have. So there are differences between human and animal besides you know, what the body looks like and what the hands look like instead of paws or what claws is. Hands that can grab things. Anyway, the name is consciousness. And so back to the strong body from the breast milk of mother. Prabhupada is not saying it's a scientific fact, so that, that doesn't mean those of you that ladies that will or have had children, your children will be strong unless you breastfeed But then if you do, guarantee you're going to have a healthy child and no sicknesses. There's no guarantee like that. But in the case of poor Bachiti, because she was a heavenly personality, when feeding her nine children, her heavenly embodied milk, they became very strong. So that's one thing with this strength. But Prabhupada spends more time in purport on this position of good society. And good society comes when there's protection. Now, in some cases, both men and women have the wrong idea, if they have any idea of protection of women at all. It's simply like, you know, you men use their physical strength to keep harmful other men from hurting their wife. You're supposed to be a macho husband and use your biceps to keep your other men away from your wife or any other harm than animal that may come or some something physical harm and that's the very incomplete idea of what protection is rather protection is it's not it's because of something that's very valuable you protect it like within a family if supposing there's some heirloom, something of great value that's handed down from generation to generation, some items of gold or whatever it is, golden ornaments or something, something, great value, and it doesn't like expire, it's got like currency that becomes worthless after some time, it's something that has some really substantial value. What do you do with that substantial, valuable thing? You protect it. You put it in a very safe place. That kind of protection. And in the sense that for 
good society, there must be good offspring. And to have good offspring, those who bear that good offspring, the women portion of the population, should be very much protected. And if women are very much protected, then there's this much better chance that we'll have a good project because those that are doing the, the careful protecting of that valuable component of society are responsible men. And when the responsible man and protected woman produce offspring, it's good offspring and properly trained and guided become good citizens. So you have a good society. I don't know how many of you were here when the president of Guyana came for the inauguration of this temple. But it was right out in that parking lot, there was a stage. And I remember very clearly what his address was. He said it was two things. It was political. But it was, it was making a strong statement about protection of women and education of our children. And any nation or group of people that doesn't extend protection to women, it will it will fail. It'll be destroyed. It's Mahabharata. But you know, it was the president of Diana saying it from the, the stage outside of you know, he knows his audience, he's a politician. But you know, I I'm sure it's something he believes in also. How much he practices it, I don't know, but you know, it suits the audience and it's 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 um dharmic. Why? Why such emphasis? Besides, you know, you get big reactions if you don't. But you have a good population if you do. And those that are interested in elevation of society, you know, looking at the big picture besides, you know, my little sense desire and another person's sense desire and put the two things together and you have unwanted children. <coughs> the bigger picture is a society that's progressive and of, of good quality. Because we want to live in a in an environment that's people of good quality. It's hard to say it the other way around. It's hard to train devotees to help people become devotees when their home situation or the, the village where they live or the community where they live, their people of bad character. Even, say, our own devotee children population. We were having this discussion um, with Trigandhi on why is it those of you that are parents or will be someday parents, listen carefully. Why is it that we find that children of devotee parents don't become nice devotee adults? What are the factors that contribute to that not happening? One of the biggest factors is what happens at the home. You set a good standard and are loving parents much better chances than your children will become devotee, but you know, you don't set a good standard. Or the behavior, the relationship between husband and wife is not 
other factors too, and that's the community. As it is said, to raise a child takes a village. So, we already have this Kali Yuga out there, and let the devotee community be as free as possible from the influences of the age of Kali. But that takes a lot of commitment. Because it's too easy to be, you know, like, just go with the flow and whatever's going on, you just like, can't write Christian, go with the flow. That's not, we want something much more than that. We want a, a very strong community of committed devotees. Because when the child growing up sees one standard in their home and then there's all this other standard that's going on out there, you know, a weaker standard, then it's hard to, for them to, to adhere to the higher standard. But if the whole community agrees more consistently is of a higher standard of Christian consciousness, then it helps the child grow to become a nice Christian conscious devotee. Because we're not, we're not isolated. We're not in this little bubble somewhere where we're social beings and the adults understand the adults that the behaviors of the other children with which our devotee children mix it makes a strong impact on the character of the child the, the values of the child behaviors of the child anyway we can expand on that idea but going back to the verse the uh, the point that Kalpana is making, and it refers to Bhagavad Gita, chapter 1, from text 40 to confirm it, is that we want to avoid Vanasankara, unwanted population. And what we want is quality population. You have quality population, you have to have quality adults. The husband-wife relationship has to be really quality standard they maintain has to be quality before they produce children and extend it further let a community of persons that are serious about Krishna consciousness follow the same standards and then we're going to have good devotee children good population that can carry forward in their lives because we provided a nice atmosphere for them to grow and continue nicely Krishna consciousness carrying forward the message and the mission established for us. It's very common. I, I was appreciating this particularly from our South India tour, recently book of abilities went through South India. Many of the temples at one time were flourishing and after some time they weren't. And in fact the deity was lost and so many, you know, over a period of time, even good things go down because time destroys all things. What's going to check that course of time is Krishna consciousness. Just like the establishing of this temple and the deities, let, let the temple not be taken for granted or become complacent. Hey, we've got a temple now so we don't have to work so hard. It's, you know, it's being maintained, appreciating the efforts of the devotees who have been. It's, it's not like deteriorated. But let some time pass. 
is the standard deity worship being upheld? Like the discussion last night about deity worship at home and deity worship in the temple. If it, what happened to these deities when they were first installed over a period of years? It was awful. And then they were brought here, and now it's nice. We should be concerned because it's Krishna. Gordetai, Krishna Balaram. Be concerned about them. We're going to be concerned about our children and our families and our homes. What about Krishna? Yes. And that, by that spiritual well-being, our material well-being will follow. And so protection of women is a very important part of seeing to that well-being over a period of time. It's just one of those principles of life. If upheld, we get a good result. If not upheld, we have problems. The problems that we don't get to because we're busy solving the problems and don't get to the root of it is, and that's seeing what's really valuable and protecting it. So any questions or discussion? Yeah. 
not like we don't know. It's we're just lazy. We know. We're lazy. We're not committed. And if you're not committed, that's what you get. You get much. You know, and call it, get perfume it, put a ribbon on it, and give it a nice name. But that's what you have. But commitment is the mind to your existence. The Dhamma goes in the old government, but that's the reward for those who are Tisham Sasaki Yukana, Rajatam, Tisham Sasaki That's commitment. That's what it takes. I'll give a, like, a, a contemporary example. The Mormon faith has a big university in Utah, the uh, Brigham Young University. Brigham Young is the name of the person who brought the Mormon faith from where it started in upstate New York to Utah. So, Brigham Young University. Anyone that becomes, this is in college today in America, they take a vow. They have a name for it besides a vow. Some kind of pledge, something like that. Anyway, one of those, one of the components is no illicit sex. So, their basketball team was like, you know, one of the best in America. But one of the members of the team had sex with his girlfriend. So because he made this vow, he withdrew from the basketball team. And people were going, oh, what? This is America. That's nothing. And the, the, the head of the university was approached. He said, it's not a matter of what's right or wrong. It's a matter of commitment. Good answer. That's not right. You know, the basketball team is moving, so I'm going to make a mistake. I got all the kids are making the like, same mistake. It's not, it's not even a mistake. It's just like, from our point of view, it's not a matter of right or wrong, it's a matter of commitment. You just took it off the morality table and put it on the, this is our conviction. We follow our convictions. We're committed to follow our convictions. Then maybe it's not, it's not like, you know, he's kicked out of being Mormon. But, you know, their privileges that yeah, he, he's now made some, the, the standard was right. He came forward and admitted his mistake and took the exemplary. Anyway, so it's nice. So what does that do? It says, whoa, we better not deviate. And, you know, we're, we're people that are committed. That's what we are. It was really good. Good example. So, what does it take for a community? Well, we, we know what, what, what we're to do and not to do. We just, you know, don't have to water it down. Do our best. We may not be at the highest standard. Let us not move the standard. 
and this college is different standard. Like this discussion last night about the 50% thing. You were focused on something should be contributed, and I was thinking about, you know, does, does the 50% become 10%? We just like change the standard. No, it was mentioned. This is what Prabhupada said. Sometimes find it difficult. So let us make a step to be in good standing within this time. You contribute ten percent of your income as a standard. And the Mormon faith, if you don't get ten percent of your gross income, you're not in good standing. You can be a Mormon, but you're not a Mormon in good standing. You can be a Harimbol, but not a Harimbol in good standing. If you don't follow these regular principles. And so we have to show it, it's important to have standards and to know why we have standards and to uphold the standards. Just like this protection of women. It's a, and protection of children. We have a child protection team. And child protection office and a minister looking out for it and we need it because it's the standard that we hold etc I could say something more than that well I was thinking about good parenting and also becoming a good body I was thinking also that um, you need to read your brother's book, what is your encouragement? Yeah, sure. How can you know what the standard is or have the strength to maintain the standard if you don't read? So we read to become a devotee, and once we're devoted, we don't read? What's that? That's complacency. Well, I'm not too busy because I conditioned to my job, my family. I got my sadhana, I got my meetings, and I got all this, I got to serve in the temple. Now you're telling me I also have to leave. Come on, give me a drink. Don't have time. We have to have time. Oh, otherwise, we'll, our, our, everything will become watered down. We'll lose our Christian consciousness. And then that will become the standard, is a watered down bush. That's, that's, and that becomes what the standard is. That's not wholesome. It's not going to produce good Krishna consciousness in ourselves or a good Krishna conscious family or good Krishna conscious community. And it's not somebody who's going to be for us. Somebody else will do it. They're, they're, they like to read. I don't like to read. We have to, we have to think our, our, our consciousness, think our intelligence,
consciousness becomes very dull. They don't even notice what's going on. In the way that the devotees are more at least tuned 